Hello and welcome to a new season of Prickly Politics. This is WFUV's podcast on New York City and state politics. I'm your host, Julia Agos, and I'll be taking you through season four of Prickly Politics. I'll sometimes be joined by our chief political reporter, Andrew Millman. He's been helping me structure this season, research the episodes, and conduct some of the interviews. So, Andrew, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Like Julia said, I'm Andrew Millman, WFUV's city and state politics reporter, and I'll be contributing to a few episodes in the interviews and beforehand. That's right. This season, we'll be covering some of the major legislative accomplishments of the 2019 session, as well as some of the proposals we may see come to fruition in future sessions. During the 2018 midterm elections, we saw what many called the blue wave hit the New York state legislature. Democrats took control of the state Senate, giving them a majority in all three branches of the state government. And so that means Democrats have been able to accomplish a number of progressive policy changes. They're also looking at some issues that would have been thought of as impossible before the blue wave. And one of those issues on the table is the decriminalization of sex work. Two freshman senators, Julia Salazar and Jessica Ramos, introduced a bill back in June that would decriminalize sex work, an idea that may seem outrageous to some. But they argue that the laws on the books are only enforced for certain communities. We're going to break down this issue for you all today. We'll talk with Senator Salazar later in the episode, and we'll also hear from a former sex worker and an advocate from an organization that has been working to decriminalize sex work in New York. So to start off, Andrew, do you think this issue could have been brought to the table without the blue wave? Oh, of course not. You can't imagine the Senate Republicans going anywhere on a bill to decriminalize sex work. It just couldn't happen. And the fact that we have people like Julia Salazar in the state Senate now who took out an IDC Democrat is why we have this sort of new frontier of legislation that is within the realm of possibility. Criminal justice reform has been a major issue both in New York state and nationally even that has gotten a lot of movement in recent years. But decriminalization of sex work is something that's brand new that even many activists would not consider feasible. But here we are in New York State with a bill on the table to decriminalize it. So if this bill were to pass one day, it would decriminalize the buying and selling of sex between two consenting adults. And we acknowledge that this is a controversial issue. We know that many people believe that sex work should be criminalized on the basis that they believe it is immoral and that people should not be trading sex. And so we made sure to ask all of our guests on this episode how they would respond to those critics. So first, let's talk to an advocate from Decrim NY. The group formed to decriminalize and destigmatize sex work in New York State. Nina Lowe is going to give us some history on the topic and explains some of the catalysts that brought this issue forward. Just to start off, can you talk about why you think people are really starting to pay attention to this issue right now? Last year, a piece of federal legislation called Sexta Fosta passed, uh, which holds third parties liable, which holds online service providers liable for third-party content, which means that if you have any kind of content on your website that might have been used to facilitate sex work, your website could be sued and shut down. So as a result, a lot of sites that people were working on shut down. Screening tools that people were using also shut down. And, you know, it's like showing up at your job and 
your home often burned to the ground. So people were on the street. People tried to work outdoors for the first time, and many people went missing, and some sex workers died. It was a crisis. And as a result, there was a lot of media coverage that for the first time put sex workers in the subject line instead of, you know, some horrible headline like, hooker dead, found by the river, whatever. It was like, sex workers say, like, law is harming their safety tools or whatever. So... We saw a lot of organizing that was at the national level, kind of against us for FOSTA. Of course, the road to retail was long and, and probably would take even more work than the kind of state-by-state deep framework. On top of that, we also saw some congressional candidates come out in favor of repealing FOSTA-FOSTA in their campaigns. That includes Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then we also saw the first candidate run on a platform of decriminalizing sex work and win, and that was Julia Salazar, first state senator last year. And so I think it's sort of the electoral politics and the media that's been generated and also just the resurgence and rise of the left, where if you are young, you participate in social justice movements oriented around immigration rights, labor rights, racial justice, LGBTQ liberation. All of that fits in perfectly with believing in the rights and safety of people who trade sex. And so for a lot of the candidates that I've worked with and our movement has worked with, we didn't have to sell decriminalization or sex workers' rights to them. They really understood it already because it fit in with the rest of their platform. And so as we see people fight back against what the Trump administration is doing to so many marginalized communities, we're also seeing an incorporation of rights and safety for people in the sex trades into sort of the larger social justice platform. Now, Nina, could you talk about what communities are most affected by criminalization of sex work? Undocumented, LGBTQ, especially trans women of color, migrant workers are especially affected by criminalization. So there are a couple of reasons for that. Well, most of the time, people really trade sex out of economic circumstance. So you're selling sex to pay for rent, to pay bills, to pay for childcare, to send money back home to take care of your family. And so people who are more likely to be in that situation are also those who are generally locked out of the formal economy because of discrimination against TGNC people or um, discrimination against undocumented people or people living with disabilities. So when you're already in an economically precarious situation, you're also more likely to be impacted by criminalization. And that's not only because people who are doing street-based work or are more visibly street-based obviously you know, bear the brunt of policing, but also because when you interact with the criminal legal system, being poor puts you at a disadvantage, right? So when we think about uh, Leilene Polanco, who uh, recently died um, in Rikers Solitary, the bail that was set on her case was set on a misdemeanor prostitution case. She was supposed to be diverted through the diversion courts, and because she missed a couple court dates through the diversion courts, she had a warrant that later resulted in her bail, which, one, proves that diversion is not decriminalization, but also her bail was literally $500, and she couldn't afford that. And so, you know, ended up dead. So it's not just like who initially interacts with the criminal legal system. Um, it's also like what happens once you face all the different consequences, whether it's getting bail set, whether it's having to go to court dates to miss your day job, whether it's having a criminal record impact your shelter or your job search or your immigration status, all of those things. What would you say to people who, who say that sex work is immoral and why would we legalize an immoral industry? 
I think that Raylene Polanco dying is more immoral than a person's beliefs about something that they're not even involved in. But I'm curious about there is a very large majority of the state or of the country that don't think it should be legalized because Mm. it goes against their moral values. And I'm just curious, you know, what is what is your rebuttal to that? So I think that uh, it's just a question of what people value more. Is it like your sort of vague feelings about someone that you don't even know walking down the street or maybe working indoors where you don't even see them? Or is it the freedom to be safe from violence and exploitation for a really large group of people? You know, we've seen many Black trans women killed this year and in many years in the past, including by state violence. Um, Many of them were trading sex. And, you know, the violence and exploitation of sex workers is partially what led to some of their deaths, including Leilene. And at the end of the day, decriminalization is not creating, like, brothel licenses. It's simply saying you should not go to jail for doing what you have to do to survive. Could you speak about the action that's happened fairly recently in the New York State Legislature on decriminalization, Julia Salazar's Stop Violence in the Sex Trades Act? Yeah, so it's actually owned by four legislators, more or less. Like, Julia Salazar and Jessica Ramos split it in the Senate, and then Dick Gottfried and Yulin News split it, split it in the Assembly. And then there are um, several more Assembly sponsors. I think it's Dan Court, Ron Kim, Catalina Cruz, and... This bill is for a statewide bill to decriminalize sex work and rewrites the prostitution penal code by um, making language not gendered because prostitution penal code was written a very long time ago and I'll assume that everyone who trades sex is a woman. not true. It also repeals penalties for selling and buying sex between consenting adults and it changes like patronizing prostitution statutes to match statutory rape. In some cases that means lowering penalties and in some cases that means raising penalties. We just think that they should be matched to the, the penalties for statutory rape. And then it also creates kind of like a record clearing system so that people who whose you know tr- records would would no longer be considered a crime under this bill could be cleared and then we repeal some of the promoting prostitution statutes that prevent sex workers from working together for safety living together you know the the, the cleaners at the massage parlors like children living off sex workers like all of that kind of any kind of associating with sex workers that is currently criminalized all right nina well that is all the questions we have for you today we really appreciate you coming on thank you so yeah, much nope. No problem at all. Next, we talk with Senator Julia Salazar. She's a freshman state senator from Brooklyn, and she actually ran on a platform that included the decriminalization of sex work. She explains this issue fit with the rest of her criminal justice platform. So just to start off, um, what I'm wondering is, uh, so like I said, you ran on a platform of the decriminalization of sex work. And I, I want to know why you chose to run on, um, with that platform. And do you think it helped you win? Sure. So my the district that I represent is um, in, in North Brooklyn. Um, I live in Bushwick, and it includes all of Bushwick, Cypress Hills, Williamsburg, and Greenpoint. And in Bushwick and East New York, the part that includes my district, we've seen some of the highest rates in the city. At one point, it was the highest 
um, rate in the city of people being charged with a crime called loitering for the purpose of prostitution, which is the most commonly charged um, offense that, that is related to prostitution or sex work in New York. And, and so it's, it's an issue. The criminalization of sex work has had a disproportionate impact on, um, on some of my constituents, um, but I, it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of my mind uh, until last summer when some organizers with the Sex Workers Project um, and the Anti-Violence Project, uh, Sex Worker Advocates, uh, reached out to me and told me about their their legislative agenda and educated me about efforts to uh, reduce the harm of criminalization. At the time, they actually had not yet started openly advocating for full decriminalization, but they worked hard to create a uh, the the decrim and why coalition that launched uh, just a few months ago officially and they when they approached me about it uh, I just felt that not only did it disproportionately impact my district but for me it was it was common sense uh, to fight for decriminalization to both uh, re reduce the harm that it has needlessly caused a lot of um, of our trans neighbors particularly a lot of women um, and women of color uh, and and also in, improve our ability actually to address sex trafficking and um, and people being coerced into the sex industry um, and so that that really drove my motivation to support it. Senator Salazar, last session towards the end of the last session, you put forward a bill with a few co-sponsors to decriminalize sex work. It didn't look like it was likely to pass. What did you hope to accomplish by doing that? We had been working on the bill to fully decriminalize sex work throughout the session uh, with in, informed by the advocates in the dec the new decrim and why coalition. I would have hoped to introduce the bill sooner, but it was really unprecedented legislation, so we needed to end it and it's quite long. <laughs> I think it's about twenty four pages long right now because there are you know, more than two two dozen laws in the state of New York related to the criminalization of sex work or prostitution. Um, so it, it really just needed to be very a, a very thoughtful and comprehensive process, which is why it took as long as it did. But we still felt that it was worth introducing the bill at the at the end of the session uh, to to initiate a what I think will be a long conversation and necessary political education to eventually see it pass and become law. So do you expect this bill to at least get a thorough debate next year? I'm hopeful that it will because they, I've, I've seen a lot of interest from the public and it's been elevated in the public discourse. Uh, so I and and I've been really impressed by the advocacy from from sex workers and, and allies of sex workers. Uh, their legislative advocacy, I think, will will um, highlight the issue for legislators and and ensure that we at least have a robust conversation about it at the state level. Um, we're also seeing that happen at the the city level um, in in the New York City Council, um, and and I think I think that our task is 
to, if we want to see this become law, and I certainly do, we need to be doing the political education now, even before the session, um, in preparation so that we could actually see the bill move through committee and and even come to the floor for a vote uh, in 2020. So your bill decriminalizes sex work, but doesn't legalize it and regulate it. Why go with decriminalization over legalization? We have seen legalization um, manifest in harmful ways in in some places, such as in the brothels in Nevada. Um, sometimes it's not it's not more harmful, say, than than just leaving criminalization as it is. But what we what we see is if legalization is not done very thoughtfully. And, and it would be difficult to implement it in, in the United States, given the way that our economy functions. Um, the most, what, we, what we see is that the most severely impacted people from, who are most severely impacted by the criminalization of sex work are uh, not actually helped by legalization. Often the, the legal standards that are set, such as, such as licensing um, or, or um, other, other standards, they they exclude people who are sort of forced, not in a trafficking way, um, but but by their circumstances are are necessarily becoming sex workers. So such as um, undocumented workers um, or or the trans members of the trans community, uh, a lot of those people find that that they are still discriminately discriminated against when um, legalization is established, um, and and often it's more empowering for brothel owners or managers um, than it is for sex workers. So what we want to do, at least at least for now, and and maybe there could be a, lo- a more long term discussion about legalization, but we believe that that decriminalization of sex trade-related offenses will reduce surveillance and harassment and arrest of people who trade sex, and that's the top priority. I have one more question on this topic for you. Um, what would you say to people, your constituents or, or in the, you know, around the state that would say that sex work should be illegal solely because they believe it's immoral? Yeah, I think that... I, I I respect that there are some people, including including some feminists, who believe that uh, that exchanging goods and services, um, or, or rather exchanging um, money for sex or trading sex, is inherently unethical. I can understand, you know, and, and respect that, even though I disagree, um, and. I think that the the question we always have to ask in formulating policy is what is the outcome that we ultimately want to see and that we can realistically expect from the policy? And so under the current policy, it is very unrealistic to expect that people are going to stop trading sex. Um, It's it's happened for, you know, as long as civilization has existed, uh, people have been, been buying and selling or trading sex. And so the, the criminalization is clearly not going to resolve that, even if you, um, even if someone personally objects to to it on an ethical basis. And and so the question we need to ask is, well, how do we minimize harm 
Um, because even even though I don't believe that it is, I I don't believe that it is unethical. I definitely recognize that there is exploitation and harm that exists in the sex industry. And in order to minimize that harm, um, and also and also better position ourselves to combat trafficking and ex- and exploitation. Uh, that we should decriminalize rather than continue to to criminalize people and to make it difficult, for example, for them to report um, exploitation and abuse out of fear of um, law enforcement. Well, Senator, thank you so much for talking to us. It was a fascinating conversation and we really appreciate your time. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Andrew. And um, let me know if I can otherwise be helpful. I appreciate you. Okay. thank you so much. Have a great day. And finally, I got a chance to sit down with Jessica Raven, a former sex worker. We chatted here at WFUV Public Radio in the Bronx. Jessica told me she entered the industry as a means of survival after she became homeless as a teenager. She says trading sex was a means of survival for her, and criminalization makes the lives of sex workers more difficult. You've been an activist for Decrim NY, and so just to start, can you tell me a little bit about how you got you know, introduced to this organization and the kind of work you've been doing for them? Yeah, so um, I'm actually originally from New York. I grew up here, but was gone for 12 and a half years. So the last three years, I was in D.C. organizing and helped to build um, the Sex Workers Advocates Coalition, which was a really similar coalition where we got a similar bill introduced to fully decriminalize sex work in, in D.C. And then that grew into more of a public outreach effort called Decrim Now D.C., and so I'd been, even though I know it, it seems like a new issue for a lot of people, but a lot of us have been organizing around this issue for many years. Um, and there's been a lot of groundwork that was done to get us to the point at which, you know, people are talking about it and it's in the mainstream news and we're being invited to podcasts and um, and it's starting to be um, considered something that is, is logical, something that can happen. Um, and that I think really started... Um, several years ago with our with our DC campaign I can talk more about um, and back then it was just um, you know we had two co-sponsors on a bill and nobody was taking it seriously there was no chance of getting a hearing um, and then we started to do outreach and canvases and street art and people started talking about it and we started talking to candidates who were running in the um, 20. 18, so it was a June 2018 primary election and got them to talk about it. And around the same time, um, my colleagues in New York reached out and said, you know, we want to start doing similar canvases. Um, We have folks who are running who are interested in making decriminalization of sex work a primary issue in their campaign, like Julia Salazar. Um, And so we shared resources and they did a canvas and got um, Salazar elected and and yeah, and so that um, I was mostly in, I was in D.C. during that time, but um, got here in December just as the coalition was starting to build, shared a lot of what we had um, built in terms of like bylaws and values. And, and um, we continue to work on that all together. So, um, yeah, we launched, I think, in February um, and then had our bill introduced in New York in June. And a lot of it in the beginning was just early meetings with legislators to educate folks on the issue. And now that we have legislation, we're doing more of the public outreach. So I've been organizing canvases. We did one in Hunts Point, one in Prospect Park. So we're trying to hit all the boroughs. Um, Just talk to 
regular people about this issue um, and answer any questions that they might have about why we introduced this legislation and why this matters. Um, and yeah, exactly like you said, a lot of people weren't even thinking about it, didn't even realize that we criminalize people for having sex consensually <laughs> for money or for resources. And people see it as a really logical next step. So I'm curious, how does a conversation go? If you're at one of these canvassing events, you're speaking with a, a politician or someone who's running for office, how do you how do you start that kind of conversation with people? Yeah. So first, I kind of ask them where they are, like, what, what do they already know about it? And what questions do they have? So I let them know that we did recently introduce this bill to decriminalize sex work in partnership with Salazar Ramos, and then also Gottfried um, in the assembly. And um and ask them kind of where they stand and what what questions they have. And the biggest question that I get is always it's always about trafficking. People are afraid that decriminalization of sex work will lead to an increase in trafficking. And um, can you kind of walk me through that logic for them? Yeah. So there are a lot of folks, and and there are even some organizations that have this position essentially that um, people who sell sex should be decriminalized, but that people who buy sex should remain criminalized. Um, And our position is just that you can't criminalize any side of the sale. Um, But there, I think their thought process is essentially that all sex work is exploitative. Um, So some folks will argue no one would consent to have sex for money. I think that's really complicated. You know, ideally, no one would have to work to have access to housing and food and all of the things that they need. But here we are living in a capitalist society <laughs> where we do have to work um, for for resources. And so many of us choose different forms of work and many people choose sex work for a variety of reasons, like the flexibility of the work. Um, maybe they're someone who has a disability and can't work a regular nine to five job or um, maybe there's someone who's trans and has experienced employment discrimination in um, the work- workforce and has turned to the underground economy because um, there is a market. So, yeah, there are a lot of reasons that people choose sex work. And also um, there are people who are who experience trafficking that like exploitation is true and trafficking is a reality in every workforce, in every. Um, yeah. In every industry. And um and we have to take that seriously, but the the strategy to address that, I think that's where we disagree. We don't uh, at Decrim New York, we don't see criminalization as an effective strategy for ending trafficking and exploitation in the industry. We see labor rights as an effective strategy. We see um, decriminalization as a strategy because it would help to address police violence, we, which we know is rampant against sex workers, um, and housing and access to resources. So many people turn to the sex trade because they are experiencing homelessness and need to access housing. And so, and that was actually my experience. So I was under the age of 18 when I was trading sex in New York. And so by law, by federal law, because I was under 18, I'm automatically a trafficking victim, regardless of whether or not I had a trafficker. And so the vast majority of young people in the sex trade don't have a trafficker, but are trading sex because they're experiencing homelessness, because they've experienced family rejection of their queer or trans identities, because they um, you know, have been neglected by the foster system, for whatever reason, are on the street. And so now you have up to 2.8 million youth in uh, who are experiencing homelessness in the United States. Um, and I was one of them. And so trading sex was a strategy to access housing. And 
do I wish there had been other strategies? Yeah, of course. But that was my reality. And unless you addressed my need for housing, you couldn't just rescue me from the sex industry. And what do you say to people who, um, and you you brought this up a little bit, who say that um, women or or men or whoever is trading um, sex for money come from um, maybe a violent background or um, aren't doing it of their total free will? Mm -hmm. Um, how How do you speak to that? I think that's a really important issue to talk about. I think um, the only way to really address that is to first acknowledge that there are people who do choose to trade sex for money and for resources so that we can distinguish, so that we can better support the people who are there um, not by choice or not totally by their free will, but also, um, you know, like my experience, I never considered myself a sex worker when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. I um, saw that as a strategy. I saw saw myself as a homeless teen, and I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to survive. Um, and and so, again, it's um, that was a really bad situation. I would have ideally... Um, I would have chosen something else had I had the options. I think that's true for a lot of people, but we have to work with our reality. You know, we can't work from this ideal world that we don't live in if we know that a lot of trans people of color are experiencing employment discrimination and turning to sex to survive. If we know that young people are experiencing homelessness and turning to sex to survive, you don't start by taking away their only um, survival strategy. You start by meeting those needs for resources. So what would you say to people who object to decriminalization purely based on morality? They say mm. that trading sex for money is wrong, period, and that's why it should be illegal. How do you respond to that? I think that I actually have talked to several people um, who had that perspective. And um, one thing I try to point out to them is that criminalization actually traps people in the sex trade. People who want to get out of the sex trade, if they have a criminal record for sex work, have a much harder time finding and accessing alternative forms of employment. And so um, although they might oppose people trading sex, there are also people who are in the sex trade who don't want to do it, and criminalization traps them. So I think we do need to create alternative forms of employment. I also don't think that we should legislate based on morality. I think we're all going to have very different opinions about what's right for us um, and what what is right in general. So when we spoke to um, Senator Salazar, she said that she hopes for the next legislative session that there is a meaningful debate over this um, mm-hmm. this bill. So I'm wondering, what is your message for lawmakers in Albany for the coming session? Ah, my message for lawmakers is, I think I would just say, um, I think everybody is invested in building safety for all of our communities. I think everybody agrees with that. Um, I think that um, it's just important to look at the research and to to pay attention to what the data shows about what we need to build safety. The reality is that criminalization isn't making anybody safer. Um, and I hope that they will pass laws uh, like the full decriminalization bill to help us get closer to that reality of safety that everybody wants. Do you think this could happen in a year? Do you think this could happen in five years? Do you think it could go national? I mean, what what are your hopes and then what are your expectations for the issue? When we first got the bill introduced in D.C., I I thought 
you know, this is never going to happen. It's a conversation starter. Um, so that was in 2017. That wasn't very long ago. Now we're in 2019. And again, we're, you know, this issue has been in the mainstream news and people are talking about it and people are taking it seriously. And we have legislation in New York um, that would fully decriminalize sex work. I, I think it's possible in a year, maybe two years. So we have seen it talked about on a national level. And I think that's bringing about the culture change that we need. And I think that for me is almost more significant if people are thinking about this issue in a different way, if we're addressing the stigma, if we're changing the narrative, um, if if neighbors are no longer calling the police on neighbors who are trading sex, that makes a tangible difference in sex workers' lives. Um, And so even without policy change. We can bring about culture change in the short term um, that can be really meaningful. I would definitely encourage folks to follow Decrim NY on Twitter um, and keep learning about this issue. Tweet your questions. We'll definitely tweet back at you. All right. And I'm, I'm assuming you guys will be in Albany a lot and then during the next session. We and that's, will. that's the next move for you guys. Yes, definitely. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for having thank you. me. So that's our show. If you liked today's episode, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us, please. That'll help other listeners find our podcast. You can also listen on Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Prickly Podcast to stay up to date in between episodes. A special thanks to our Prickly team, Andrew Millman, Maddie Bristow, and our editors, George Bodarkey and Robin Shannon. Thanks for listening.